Hello, I'm Craig Thielen, and this is the 1% Better Podcast. Today I'm speaking with Jeff Munichy, otherwise known as Minnesota Mune, who is the Vice President of Fan Experience for the Minnesota Timberwolves and Minnesota Lynx. Jeff, welcome to 1% Better. Hey, Craig. How are you? Good to be uh, on with you. This is uh, great. Uh, yes. Well, first of all, hey, I got to congratulate you for a big win in your home opener. Um, and, you know, for the record, you're still undefeated at home. And um, as VP of Fan Experience, all you can control is your home your home court advantage, right? So congrats on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it. It is a good win. Uh, you know, a raucous crowd, really into the game. It, it's so fun to see your fans back in the building again. You know, we always kind of liken it to at the end of the season, whatever that is, and hopefully it's longer than than you, you hope every year. But it's it's kind of like you go away for college and, and the, you go home for the summer and then you come back as a sophomore or a junior the next year get to see everybody again. And so it was great to welcome everybody back to Target Center. And we had the place thumping. It was really, it was a really fun night. That's great. And like you said, it's like every season's a new season. You have all sorts of anticipation. You've got some new players in the mix. And it's just got to be a, just a really exciting buildup and a time of year for you to, to get the season off. It is. You know, you know for us, you had mentioned that I, I can't necessarily control what happens on the court. You know, I can't make shots. I can't make coaching decisions or defensive stops but I can't control how we treat our fans. And that that's what drives the engine for me every single night is that we have this wonderful opportunity to invite 15, 16, 17,000 people into our house on those home games and in a really crowded marketplace like we have here in the great Minneapolis-St. Paul with so many things to do. The least we can do is put on a show for them. You know, that's the way we look at it. And so for me, I'm super passionate about it. I love it. I love those interactions with the fans and the relationships you get to have and get to build. And so uh, it was really fun to see all our fans again to start the season. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, let's we're going to come back to the the whole fan experience and and what that's like but i want to just give the folks in the audience a, a sense of um who you are because i think your story is an amazing story and i think it's it's inspirational and it's uh, in some ways it's a classic you know mail room to c-suite story but i think it's even better than that so just walk us through how did you get into this uh this business of basketball yeah so um i go way back it you know like like a lot of kids when you're going through your middle school and junior high and high school years you have all these photos and posters of all your favorite players on the wall i was no different i had Dr. J, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, you know, all these guys on my wall. So I grew up as a huge basketball fan. Uh, I did play other sports. I ran cross country. I played baseball as well, but basketball is always my passion. And I had the opportunity to go on and extend my playing career after graduating from Lake City in 1982 and go out and play for a Division II school in South Dakota called Huron University. And so we ended up having a really good team out there. Our claim to fame is my junior year, we got beat by Southeast Oklahoma State, which had a general by the name of Dennis Rodman on the team. Mm. Um, so after holding Dennis to 38 points and 26 rebounds, I figured <laughs> perhaps my thoughts of a pro career and being one of those posters on a wall probably are going to wane pretty quickly. So I better come up with a plan B here pretty quickly. And so I got really lucky and 
And what I talk about all the time is relationships and the importance of relationships is no different for me. Gentlemen that helped recruit me to play basketball for the coach I played for ended up getting named general manager of the Minnesota Strikers here, which is the old indoor soccer team that played at Met Center way back in the day where Mall of America sits today. So that was my entry into an interview process that ultimately I got hired as a sales rep for the Strikers. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was 21 years old. I'd never sold anything in my life. We had no training. It was pretty much, hey, there's an office. Go sell some soccer tickets. And I sat in my office staring at my phone for two days in a near panic, realizing that my phone hasn't rang one time. I haven't sold anything. So I got some really good advice from my boss at the time was just a couple years older than I was. And and I said, boy, you know, I'm really struggling here. I'm not selling anything. And he gave me some great advice that I still hold to this day. He says, well, the phone's not going to just ring for you. You got to go make it ring. And I thought about it that night. I'm just like, oh, wait, you know, so I must have to go talk to people. (laughs) That must be the key to this thing. So I came back in and and I told him, I said, I'm just going to go and work soccer fields every day. You don't even see me. I'm going to go out and introduce myself to soccer kids, soccer uh, coaches, soccer parents, administrators. And what I was doing was I was very inquisitive by nature. I was not afraid to go talk to people. I was not afraid to stick out my hand. And I was asking a lot of open-ended questions, not really understanding the power of what an open-ended question does. Right. If you ask good questions and they're open-ended, people, unless they're just a complete jerk, they don't want to talk, they're right. going to give you some great dialogue back. And the dialogue will help you develop that rapport relationship and maybe the trust with someone where if I'm a good note taker and I kind of remember what the conversation is about, gives you the opportunity to say, well, hey, based on what you told me or based on what we were talking about, boy, we could be a good partner and do some things together for soccer tickets and here's how we can utilize them. So that's why I kind of cut my teeth on the sports industry doing that, but literally just going out and working soccer fields and talking to a lot of people. So I was very fortunate in that I went from, you know, just, you know, wet beyond the years, no clue what I'm doing to um, selling season tickets and, and group tickets for one year for the soccer team. At the same time, the NBA wasn't the Timberwolves yet. The NBA was being announced as it looks like they're going to come back to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yeah. So, of course, I was thrilled to death being a basketball guy in my hometown state. So, of course, I started the application process and was lucky enough to get in through, uh, from what I'm told, is 3,000 resumes. They're hiring nine sales reps. And I got lucky again because coming from soccer, the second employee hired by the Timberwolves was a gentleman by the name of Tim Lywicky, who is vice president of sales and marketing. He came from soccer. Oh, wow. So he came from the Kansas City Comets, and he was our first vice president of sales and marketing. So probably my resume gave it a little bit of, of, of shine, I guess you could say, that maybe it's just like, well, if he can sell soccer tickets, perhaps he can sell basketball well, tickets. Minnesota, He's a basketball guy. I was, right. I was thinking like soccer 35, 40 years ago in Minnesota was really not, very few people even knew about it. I certainly didn't have much of a following back then. Um, so that was not an easy sell in Minnesota. Out of all the sports that you could sell, that's got to be the, the hardest one. Craig, you're 100% right. You know, I didn't grow up around soccer. I'm from Lake City, Minnesota. We had the traditional sports, you know, baseball, football, basketball, track and field, et cetera. We certainly didn't have soccer. They do now today, which is awesome. But back then, it was really pretty much the metro schools like in Apple Valley and maybe some of the private schools had soccer. So, you know, trying to find people that wanted to even talk about it was certainly interesting. So, but it was a good learning, learning curve for me. I just learned so much doing that and doing it 
more or less on my own to try to just figure it out. That that probably led me into some good questions and some good background for the Timberwolves staff to look at me as one of those potential nine reps. So went through the interview process, uh, was very fortunate to, to get into that uh, into that role. I sold season tickets and, and group tickets for two years, was promoted to group sales manager, did that for a year. And then I ran the ticket sales area for, I think it was about 15 years. And then I started a new area uh, called uh, Fan Relations, which turned into what's now called our membership area. And then I think it's eight years ago now, we started this whole new venture called Fan Experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where I lie today as the vice president. And then for about 30 of those years, I oversaw the youth basketball area too, which was very near and dear to my heart. So it's been a good ride. Good ride. Yeah, to say the least. So what exactly is a VP of fan experience? I mean, explain what the scope of that is for, and by the way, it's both the Timberwolves and the Lynx. Like, what is the the scope of that? Yeah, that, that that's a great one. I get asked that a lot. Like, what do you do every day? <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's so many tentacles to this where ultimately it's kind of the forward-facing arm of everything that the fans do and see. And so it's anything from, you know, thinking through, okay, what's the best way to park? Are we communicating the best way to park? What's the best way to get into the building? Are we communicating and answering to suggestions on how perhaps this could be better? What 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 happens for our food narrative? Do our fans and season ticket members like the food we're serving, or are there some 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 su- suggestions? I'll spit that out there. But it's everything that you see that's forward facing to the fan. So we're the main liaison between our building partners and trying to put on this great experience every night. You know, again, I, I mentioned it once before. We are in a wonderful city or cities state where we have everything here you have soccer you have baseball you have football you have great theater you have great arts you have everything to choose from and again so in a really crowded marketplace you know you really have to rely on the experience especially you can't say that you can just rely on wins and losses if you did this place would chew you up because we we've had those 18 years where we didn't make the postseason now a couple years in a row we have which has been great and that certainly, we always say, when the team wins, hot dogs taste better, beer gets colder, right? You know, there's something to that. Okay. But in the meantime, you know, we got to make sure that we're delivering the goods. And for me, that's the passion with the people. And that's the passion of how how they're treated when they come yeah. to their doors. Well, that, I mean, that's helpful because, I mean, as a fan, you, you often think, well, it, you focus on the game, right? And as you said, there's it's amazing how wide, you know, it's everything from what they're hearing about the team to when they're the parking and even, you know, timeouts and what music's playing and what the intro video and it's that whole experience. And at the end of the day, you can't control how the team plays. I mean, that's the coaching right side of the business and the operations. Um, but again, any given year, you're going to have, you know, as many wins as losses, good years, you're going to have a few more bad years, a few, a few less wins, but you're going to have losses. And so you don't want to tie a loss to a bad experience. The loss can be a great experience could be, you know, comes down to last second or could be, you got together with friends and it was, so it's, it's interesting because, uh, you broaden that whole, that experience. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is. It's entertainment and people are going to pay for that. So I'm curious, how do you see the Timberwolves, the NBA, you know, and the Lynx and the WNBA and how, how different is, do you look at the fan experience and very different sort of business models, very different fan models like how is this fan experience the same for you or how do you think about that yeah that that's an awesome question and let's say at first our thought process 
would be the same. It'd be similar, like from a food narrative, what are we doing with food? It should be the same both ways. Parking should be the same both ways. The experience, however, for our fans is dramatically different, which was a surprise to us when we started the WNBA. Now, I'll give you a great example. For the WNBA and our Lynx fans, and obviously we've won four championships, and so it's about the game. So very, very little interaction when other than half times or before the game. If if the game is going, the concourse is a great spot to be if you want to just run laps because there's nobody in the concourse. Right, right. Everybody is focused on the game. Or on a Timberwolves game or NBA, there's a lot more interaction. There, There's a lot more social piece to it. It's not to say that the links aren't social. Our fans are very social, but it's social about the game. So when, when you walk into our building, people do not want to miss the tip. They do not want to miss how the third quarter starts, and they certainly are going to be there at the end. From the Timberwolves standpoint, a lot of people are getting a bite to eat downtown, you know, maybe lingering about, saying hello to some friends, maybe going in one of the the premium spaces, kind of hanging out in one of the atriums, talking to people like myself, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like, oh, I should probably go check it out. Looks like we're halfway through the first quarter. Uh, That's where it's different. But the thought process of what we're trying to do from an experience standpoint, again, with parking, communication, food narrative, those things are the same. Yeah, very interesting. How and I mean, you have to pay attention to that. If you try to use the exact same, you know, experience, I mean, the approach can be similar, but the product and how you approached it, then you you wouldn't be connecting with the fans as well. So just listening to the fans and what they're telling you, um, I think is probably the key there and, and you you clearly can distinguish the two well let, let me ask you this so clearly you have a, a passion you have you know you've been a basketball junkie you know ever since being a kid and you have a passion for it and you just really wanted to get into the organization and as you said fortune got you in but that only gets you so far right like to go up and take on the multitude of roles and now to lead the entire fan experience for two professional sports organizations takes a lot of business acumen. It takes a lot of leadership skills, team building skills. And at the end of the day, being an executive or a leader, like it's about results, right? So whatever your goals, I mean, I'm sure you have metrics and you have goals that you put upon you or that you that you accept so how did you progress as just a professional as a person from as you said when you were still wet behind the ears selling soccer season tickets to like going up through the ranks you know in a let's face it i think you know sports franchises are very much doggy dog very much uh, competitive not just on the court but you get new owners you get new uh, gms you get all sorts of new people periodically and sometimes there's regime change and there's different philosophies. Um, so how did you progress as a professional throughout all of that um, change? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And, you know, I, I remember when I started off, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I am here. This is my dream job. I hope I can stay for a year. <laughs> you know, and that, that screwed up. And and all of a sudden you're there for five years and you're like, oh my goodness, is this happening? And then, then by that point, you've been promoted maybe once or twice perhaps. And you're thinking, wow, maybe, maybe I can be here a bit. And so number one in, in this industry, you have to produce. So from a sales standpoint, you have to put up numbers. It's it's fairly black and white. You can be the greatest person of all time, but if you're not producing, 
that's an issue. Or perhaps it's just maybe some technique. It's maybe some things you've been trained to do. Uh, perhaps your effort is there. There's just a couple tweaks in the in the process that we can or your managers can help with. So there might be a little bit of that. So I was very fortunate that early on I had some great trainers. I had some great leaders that that showed me the way. You know, I got very lucky in that I just felt like I'm not going to get outworked, even though we had a tremendous staff. We were all working hard, but I, I got I got lucky in that the the people that I followed and really learned from really had some incredible insight and technique to the sales process and gave me some additional knowledge and some different ways to do things that that helped me excel from a number standpoint when it does become black and white numbers and suddenly perhaps you're in the middle of the pack well suddenly maybe you've done enough and you've learned enough and been educated enough where suddenly you're at the top of the pack so there's no question that helps secondly i think you have to be a great person i think you have to be you know a really good team player you have to fit the fabric of the culture i think you need both to succeed and be able to go up to the ranks or, or or you take this experience and go to another team or another business people want to be around people that they like and, and so i think fortunately i've always been blessed to be around unbelievable people much smarter than me lots of talent and I've just been able to kind of come along with them and just learn a lot and be, like I said before, very inquisitive. Okay, that was an interesting thing that you just said. Boy, perhaps I could put that into my repertoire a little bit. Or, hey, here's a problem I was having. How did you handle this? Or, you know, again, I had, you know, Tim Lyowick, you had Bob Stein, I have Al Nunes, I have all these people that became big executives in and around the NBA and professional sports. That's what I learned from in and amongst nine other or eight other sales reps that were really talented and really good. I just, I was just blessed to be along for the ride a little bit is what I say. Well, a lot of humility there, but one of the things that I uh, always get from you is not only your passion for basketball, which is clear, but you also have a passion for the fans and you know, talk about the voice of the fan. You talk about uh, staying curious and it's easy to say those things. I mean, obviously that's your job, right? Um, but I, it, it goes beyond that. Even when I look at your your tweets and it's always about the fan and it's always about a fan experience or maybe it's a, a worker providing that experience. And so it seems like that's a little bit of like your 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 secret sauce. But talk about what did was that just innate in you that you just always had that or is it something that you learned? And then my question is, how do you balance that? Because I mean, that seems obvious, right? I mean, that's your job is to make a great fan experience. But then there is the business of basketball. It says you got to sell tickets and you got to have uh, revenue growth and we got to be profitable. And oh, by the way, cut your budget by 10 percent because you're having some tough times. And so, you, you know, there's always a balance or maybe how do you stay true to your fans when you have a business to run? Yeah, more good questions. Um, I think our feeling has always been you have to personalize the relationships with each fan. You have to figure out and ask the right questions. Why are you a fan of the Timberwolves? Why do you consume this product? One person might say, oh, I have three kids at home and I just want to treat them. I like basketball myself, but my kids are really getting into it. They play house league or traveling. And so two of my daughters really like the mascot. My son likes basketball or vice versa. Next person might say, crunch. Hey, do we still I have crunch? Still have crunch and he's doing a great <laughs> job for us. And the next person might say, hey, I'm all about client entertainment. You know, I, I own tickets because this drives my economy for me. This drives business for me. So I'm all about treating my top clients to games. Sometimes I'll go with them. Sometimes I'll just give them the tickets. 
The next person might be, I'm such a basketball junkie. I just love this. I can't have enough. So you have to ask those questions. And then we always say personalize the relationship for that person. So whatever those hot buttons are, let's do that. So if a person has tickets because of their kids, well, let's find opportunities and events where the mascots are there. Or maybe there's a dance team clinic, or maybe there's something cool. There's a kid's coloring contest. The guy with the clients um, or the season ticket member with the clients, let's make sure that when his top three clients are coming down to a game, we're doing something for those clients and making him the hero. So let's do that. So we we log all that into CRM and a lot of it's just up here in my noggin, just my brain, because uh, my goal has always been to know every single season ticket member by name. Uh, there's a lot of them and that's I got terrible. a lot of them down. I don't have all of them, but that's always been my aspiration to, to know everybody personally. And then secondly uh, to that, when we're going through this, I always try to think through like, okay, if I was a fan, if and I'm a fan of a lot of things, What's interesting to me? And so I always think about like nostalgia is really good. Old school type things is really fun. People like to take those trip down memory lane. People like to see behind the scenes things that like that you can't just see on social media or you have to be invited to. So I'm always trying to bring people into those things and say, hey, check it out. If you're a season ticket member, this is what happens. Or if you come down to a game, you could experience having our usher Rick in section 129 greet you as you walk into the stands. And then suddenly you not only are getting staff attached to it and you're showing how important they are, but fans are recognizing that and say, you're right, Rick is awesome. He's great. Well, suddenly you have a string of 25, uh, 25 people commenting on what a great experience it is going in section 129 and dealing with Rick. And that that's fun. So everybody wins the game that way. So we're in the business of management consulting and helping organizations run better and in technology and how to leverage technology. So I'm really curious in the in the world that we're in, we're now in a digital world, an AI powered world, and, and we've got Moneyball. We all know about how data is leveraged for sports, you know, for, you know, again, the play on the court. But I'm curious, how do you leverage data um, for your job? Another great question. And I am not an expert by any any stretch on technology. I know how important it is and I know how it's made us way smarter as sales and marketing teams because we're using business intelligence, we're using analytics to help show us demographics and trends and being able to get to where it's more efficient for a fan. And so I remember when we went to digital tickets, it would have been six years ago, I think it was. Oh my goodness. I mean, the backlash that we got was sure. crazy. How many years ago is that? I think it is six years ago. Okay. And it's five or six years ago. And I remember talking to the Cleveland Cavaliers who were the first team to do it. And we followed their model and they, they said, we went into it and, and said, you know, we gave people the option of either digital tickets or hard printed tickets. Well, everybody took hard ticket printed, hard, hard ticket prints and or hard ticket uh, prints. And so they said, if you're going to do this, go all in, rip the bandaid off and go. So that's what we did. And it was a huge change for our season ticket members and our fans that were used to putting those ticket stubs in a wallet or giving them to the newspaper kid or giving them to a client. And so it was quite an education process to go through that and a big change where a lot of people are like, what do you mean they're on email? What do you mean they're on your phone? <laughs> well, now, you know, six years later, can you imagine without it? It's so easy now. And it also allows us to track data that we utilize to make us better and more efficient for the fan as well. And um, so 
certainly there's selfish reasons to do it too, because we want to capture that data. We want to capture opportunities for a, a, a franchise as well, but it also gives us great intel to make the whole experience better for the fan. Yeah, for sure. There's never enough data, right? Because at any given time you have what, 15, 18,000 people. If your goal is to make it a personal experience, you need to know things about them and data. So interesting. Um, I'm sure it's evolving and growing and AI, I'm sure is going to play a role of it in it if it hasn't already sometime soon. That's what we're seeing across every company and every organization. So you said something I'm really curious about. You know, we think in our heads like, okay, in the NBA, it's ultra competitive. Everyone's trying to win. Um, And so the, the actual game itself is very competitive, right? But I'm curious, you said, hey, I called up my friend Cleveland Cavaliers. So from an operational standpoint or from a fan experience, is it collegial? Do you share ideas? Is it open or is it like, no, this is our secret sauce, stay away? Great question. Um, So the NBA is really good about sharing information as best practices. So we, we have a series of monthly sessions. So people that are my counterparts, we get together once a month and talk via Zoom or Teams. Right now, we're always trading notes back and forth. Uh, there's league meetings that you attend that you hole up in a hotel for three days and basically share different ideas and best practices there. Locally, that's, what, that's what's really been fun for me is that we're also doing this locally. So once a month, uh, for, for a number of years now, we get together with the Vikings, the Twins, United, the Gophers, everybody in t- the wild, everybody in town and we share ideas and it's really funny because in some markets people will say wait you're talking to the teams in town really why would you do that i'm like why wouldn't we there's a couple things number number one why can't we share information and see if we can make it all collectively better for a fan frequently in all our sports secondly we have a lot of consumers and clients that perhaps are Timberwolves season ticket members that there's an event at U.S. Bank, there's an event at Target Field that they want to go to. Well, it's easy for me to make a call because I have relationships built with my partners over there, you know, be it behind us or, or across town. And thirdly, it's just the right thing to do. It kind of goes sure. into the whole experience piece. Why would I not want to know the people that work at the other organizations and become friends? And certainly there, there's some competition, I guess you could say, because if people are making decisions on one spurt versus another, get that. However, we we feel that if all the sports teams are clicking in town, it just makes the market that much better. And I I really enjoy sharing the information and say, hey, Twins and hey, Vikings and hey, Gophers and hey, Wild, this is what we're doing. What do you think? And then you're going to get some information back and say, oh, that's an interesting twist. Well, here's what we're doing about it. Or here's how we handle that situation. It's been great. That's really interesting. I think there's a lot, there's some lessons in other industries. I mean, again, in the, one of the most competitive industries, you can't really think of too many industries that they everybody has the exact same goal at the end of the year, extremely competitive and lots of turnover, lots of you know coaching changes and leadership changes because of that. But at the same time, you are sharing ideas on how to get more fans and how to, that, that's a, just a great, it's great to hear both, you know, across the league and in town. Um, but I think a lot of other industries sometimes could learn from that because again, there's lots of customers and we can all learn from each other rather than, you know, not sharing. So good stuff. I'm curious, um, Jeff, you know, you've been in this league a long time, which is incredible in itself, I think, because of, again, how many times there's been ownership change and leadership change, but what from you has really stood out like what's changed in the business of basketball what's changed in the game of basketball and is there any sort of correlation because obviously the the game has changed 
significantly. But what's really changed st- stands out in your mind with with the business as well? Yeah, I, I think the with, with social media that there there's some really good positives to social media. It's another engagement tool uh, for our fans, and and like you like we had talked about before, I I really utilize that a lot to find different ways to connect to our fan base, whether they're season ticket members or just a general fan. So that part is good. Social media also creates a lot of opinions that could be a little toxic from time to time. That part is a challenge. You know, sometimes, you know, dip into your phone after a loss and you might say, oh boy, I think I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's there's some things being said where you're like, oh boy, okay. Again, I, I think most of us don't take it defensive. You know, people want us to win. They're fans. They, they have opinions about, about trying different things. So we get that. That also connects you much more often. So perhaps maybe in previously you could have got back to someone the next day or a couple days later. For the most part, you need to respond pretty quickly now or the the ask of our fans is that, hey, I sent you a note. I'd like an answer back like now or within the hour. So that that creates more time where you probably don't shut down properly. At least I don't. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I'm probably not real great at it. So that that part is a challenge. But I, I think overall, it's just such a great connector for us to create whether it's photos or video clips or information that we can share and make the experience better for our fans. They, they like those things. I think the challenge is personally are just time you, you know just we have so many events and so many games that that for me it's it's you know it's 41 regular season timberwolf games it's 17 links games it's another probably 30 40 events that you're putting on that's 100 nights that you're away from home yeah. that is a challenge or it can be a challenge um where we're allowed some flexibility back where I, I never missed any of my kids basketball games or golf events or very rarely missed them so that that was that was great, and I was able to coach them through some of their sports as well, which uh, I would have been devastated to miss some of those things for them because uh, you know I just so enjoyed those youth sports with the kids. But at the same point, you have to have a very patient spouse <laughs> to to work through those team, many right? many nights that you're going to be gone. Yeah, I was just saying it's a it, that's another team, right? It's your family team. It's your you know spouse. It's uh, it takes teamwork for sure, for sure. But I I just think it's such a curious injury uh, uh, industry. And I, I went and spoke at St. Thomas here a couple couple weeks back, and the class is probably forty five students. And I think I've had almost half the class follow up and want to know more. And that kind of makes my day because one one you know first off it's okay, whatever I said seemed interesting to those kids. They want to learn more. Secondly, never stop interviewing talent. I always think that even though they might be a sophomore or a junior, we're going to have positions at some point. So keep talking to kids, keep talking to people that want to get into your industry. You might develop this unbelievable pipeline. And thirdly, I just look at it as I would have killed to have someone come in from a professional sports team to talk to my classes back when I was in school. I never had that opportunity. And so it's just a great give back for me. Excellent. Well, Jeff, the 35 minutes always flies by here. So we're we're to our final question, which on, on our podcast is what 1% better advice would you give someone who is early in your career? And perhaps maybe you did this with the, the St. Thomas kids last week that you would give and say, hey, this is, you know, things that you've learned that you would have loved to know when you were that age and just how you think about life and how you think about looking at a career, whether it's in sports or any other career, uh, what advice would you give? 
Yeah. In, in fact, this question did come up at St. Thomas and I'm going to answer it the same way. I wish I would have pushed myself more in high school and college to do public speaking. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about all the times like now, that's it seems like I'm doing that every single day and it becomes pretty familiar. I've gotten better at it. I'm, I'm by no means a great orator, but I've gotten better at it because I practice it and done it more. But early on, I was probably like a, a lot of high school kids and college kids like, oh my goodness, speech class, really? It's the last thing I want to do. You do just enough to get by with maybe that C plus or that B minus, just enough to skate by. And I didn't take it serious enough realizing that that probably was the life skill I needed the most to work on with what I do today. And it's something I didn't prepare and practice for nearly enough going through the ranks. So I had to kind of learn the hard way because when I was working for the strikers and early on with the Timberwolves, one day I could be presenting to a board in a boardroom full of 16 executives, including the, including the company president. The next day I could be, you know, just talking to a general fan, but you're always presenting mm -hmm. and I wasn't refined enough early. So I quickly realized that after going through a couple pretty clunky presentations, like I got to get better at this. So I actually went to our PR team and said, look, I know we get all kinds of crazy requests for Kiwanis clubs and Lions clubs and breakfast speakers, all that thing, all those things said, put me, put me in line with those. If you get requests, I'll do them because I got to get better at this. Number one, we need it for our franchise. Somebody's got to go do these. I'll volunteer to go do these because I got to get better too. And I think that really helped me. And if I could go back and do one thing, that'd be it. Great advice. Well, thanks again. Uh, appreciate the time. And uh, let's, let's see if we can, you know, extend our, um, our undefeated season at home. What do you say? Let's do it. We got four big games coming up. We got Denver, Utah, Boston, New Orleans coming up here. So but, the road, there's no free lunch. That's for sure. So, but I, I like it. Thanks again, Mune. Appreciate the time and all the, the great insights. See you, Craig. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the 1% Better Podcast. We hope you found it insightful and useful for your improvement journey. As always, you can access podcast transcripts and links to reference material at tricentialcom forward podcast. If you would like to be a guest on 1% Better, you can do it on the same site. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share, or rate our podcast. Until the next episode, here's to getting 1% Better every day.